Good morning, church. My name is Neil Tullis. I get the honor of serving as a youth pastor here at First Baptist Church, Starville. And today, we as a church are honoring our high school graduates. Now, typically, this would be a Sunday. We'd have a brunch and all types of things happening. And of course, those plans have been interrupted. But we as a church still want to honor those seniors. So during this message, I will address those seniors specifically. But no, this entire message applies to me and to you as well. There's one question that every parent has to hate their kids asking, are we there yet? But moms and dads, wouldn't you love for your family to be able to go on a trip, go anywhere, which would require your kids asking, are we there yet? It's probably how often I ask my own dad that question so many times that just after I learned to read, dad taught me how to read a map and understand mile markers and road signs so I could stop asking him, are we there yet. Mile markers help us to know how far we've come and also how far we have yet to go. You say, well, a journey of course begins at the beginning, but finding the beginning of a journey is more complicated than it may initially seem to you. Take, for instance, Travis Story or really any of our high school seniors that are, that are musicians, and Travis plays in the band at Serval High School. Now, suppose if I were to ask Travis, when did you begin playing percussion or playing drums? He would not take me back to ninth grade, the summer leading up to ninth grade, when he was a part of band camp for the first time at Starville High. He may go back to when he was in sixth or seventh grade and walked into the band hall at Armstrong for the first time, but now as a senior looking back on that moment, he would say, honestly, Neil, I was just learning which end of the, hold, the, which end of the sticks to hold and what drum, what was the difference between a snare and a bass. So as a senior looking back as a seventh grade me as a drummer, I might have said at the time I was, a drummer, but now, man, trying to find the beginning is complicated. Perhaps it was at a Starville High football game, or maybe at Davis Wade as he watched this. Before the team ran out, the band marched out onto the field, and the band spelled out, stayed across the field, and all of us cheered along. And something within young Travis's heart began to beat and go into rhythm with the drums, and he realized the power the drummers had in leading not only the band, but an entire football stadium filled with all of us. Finding the beginnings are complicated, but the endings are tough to find as well. This group of seniors, I remember when they walked through these doors here at the warehouse for the first time as seventh graders. And if somehow I could have gotten them to look all the way to May 2020, they'd have said, Neil, that's way too far in the distance to even see. But certainly as a seventh grader, May of 2020, high school graduation would seem like a finish line. But I guarantee you talk to these seniors now in May of 2020, graduation, whatever that may look like for their class, does it feel like a finish line? It's not them crossing a tape. It honestly feels more like a beginning or certainly a transition point. Memory makers, mile markers, they're significant in our life. They help us to know how far we've come and how far we have yet to go. Life is filled with these type of moments. There's births and birthday parties. There's weddings as well as funerals. There's the first sleepover you got to do with your kids or maybe you let your own little, little kids do. Mile markers are incredibly significant in life. It's getting your driver's license. It's harvesting your first deer. It's calling up your first turkey. It's all these moments. It's moving out of the house into a dorm or to your own place. It's the first real job. It's the moment you trust a guy to move to a new city to pursue a new career path. And it's retirement parties. It's celebrations along the way to help us see our progress and point us in new direction. 
These times we're living in, having some mile markers along the way, help all of us make progress. Because honestly, we're living in a world where it's tough for you and I just to figure out what day it is. Because when you're waking up in your pajamas and Zooming for work from your own couch or easy chair, it's tough to tell if it's Friday or Saturday or somewhere in between. But spiritually, we have mile markers as well. I can remember as a first grader walking across the stage at the church where me and my family were members and our pastor handed me a Bible and my parents thankfully preserved that for me and I have it in my possession today. You may remember walking an aisle and taking your pastor by your hand and say you're committing your life to following Jesus or you remember your baptism and all these years later you would look back and say, man, my faith has certainly grown but my baptism was certainly a marker in my relationship with Jesus. Maybe it was as a college student, somebody challenged you to actually read through the Gospels for yourself. And those, le- those red letters got embedded on your heart. It's when you learned to trust Jesus with your finances as an adult. It's when you began to re-engage in the church when your kids came along and decided they needed what your parents had given you. It's the storm of life, the season that you went through that while you would never want to walk back through those steps again. It was a marker for your faith. It's in that season you learned to trust God as you'd never trusted before. In fact, that's when you discover this peculiar peace that only God can give. And it was during that storm that you realized your faith was growing faster than a junior high boy outgrows a pair of blue jeans. Mile markers. We all have those. But spiritually, what type of markers do you have? This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at one of the most Astounding people in all of human history. A man had incredible ambitious goals and had his life incredibly altered by God himself. Now it's recorded for us by the man that we know as Dr. Luke. He has two volumes in the New Testament that he wrote for us. The first one bears his own name, simply Luke. Luke takes us from the birth of Jesus. In fact, when you think of the Christmas story, you're probably thinking the words that Luke himself wrote. And it takes us all the way up to the resurrection of Jesus. Luke has some interesting things about himself. One, he is a Gentile. Now, we aren't totally sure if he converted from being a Gentile to Judaism and then to Christianity or went straight from being a Gentile to understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that God sent to save all of us. But somehow or another, Luke has a really good understanding of the Old Testament, of the Jewish tradition that brought forth Christianity. Now, Luke is writing at about the year 62 in Acts. So if you think back a few weeks ago to Easter and celebrating the resurrection, fast forward 30 years and you're at the time period that Luke is writing. Luke also does something else. He gives us the purpose of his writings. In the first few verses of Luke chapter 1, he tells us he is writing to one specific man. Man's name is Theophilus. Theophilus we know almost little about, but we can assume by commissioning this type of study research being done by a physician, he was likely a man of some means, some reputable, uh, some type of reputation. And And Luke says to Theophilus, I'm writing that you would have an accurate and orderly account of the life of Jesus. Now, Luke wasn't one of the original 12 followers of Jesus. He's not even in the larger crowd that would follow Jesus during his years when Jesus was doing the miracles and teaching all the parables that you know. But Luke would begin to follow Jesus, and he would enter uh, later in life, and he would actually interview those original eyewitnesses. So what we get to read in Acts today is, is from the eyewitness accounts, and this is from his interview with the Apostle Paul. 
But he's not introduced as the Apostle Paul, as a missionary. He's introduced far worse in Acts chapter 7. He's introduced in unfriendly terms. He is overseeing the first Christian martyr. Paul was incredibly religious. And so much so that he was willing to stamp out anything that threatened his religion, including a young man by the name of Stephen who would not relent his testimony that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. And he is holding the coats of other men who are throwing stones at Stephen until his death. Then in Acts chapter 8, we get to see that Paul is continuing terrorizing the church. He is hauling off men and women out of their own homes to imprison them for their belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Now in Acts 9, Paul is on his way and he's making his way to the city of Damascus. Paul's reputation precedes him and the people there are incredibly nervous about his coming to their town. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 9 and read along with me beginning in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's an early reference to the people of Jesus, not yet known as Christians. That would not happen until later in Acts at a place, a town called Antioch, so simply known as people of the way. Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So he led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Let's you in on a couple of things that are going on in this passage. Years later in Acts 26, Luke would record what, what Paul would uh, re refer back to this moment. He describes this light as being so bright as outshining the midday sun. Now, I don't think that, si that Paul had done a science project to determine the lumens of the sun versus the lumens of this moment. He is simply saying the brightest light he had ever seen was the noonday sun. He says this light far exceeded its brightness. Don't miss the pronoun that Jesus uses in verse 4. Look at it again with me. It says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? At first glance, this seems as if Jesus has gotten his pronouns confused. He's used a first person when a second person is, or a third person is needed. It should be, why are you persecuting them? Because Jesus has been resurrected. He has ascended into heaven. There's no way possible that Saul is actually persecuting, doing harm to Jesus himself. He is doing harm to the people of the way, to the Jesus followers. But this tells us something so interesting about Jesus. Jesus so closely identifies with you, his follower. Jesus says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? I want to take you back to John 17 and this incredible prayer that John, one of the three men closest to Jesus, recorded for us. And his prayer for you, his prayer for us as a church, those believers who would come after his original disciples, his prayer for us is we would be one just as he and the Father are one. Unity is a massive deal to Jesus. In your mind, travel with me back to December 7th, 1941. 
As Pearl Harbor was bombed, it's far more than just the island of Oahu that was, that was bombed. Far more than just one state of Hawaii, it was all of us. It was a call to war, a call to action for an entire nation. I certainly remember uh, just about after my college graduation where 9-11 happened. And as I remember seeing the second plane fly into the Twin Towers, it wasn't just a region or a city or a state of our nation that was attacked, it was all of us. And me and my home in Clinton, Mississippi felt under attack, even though it was thousands of miles away. That's how Jesus felt, even more so, about his church being attacked. Unity is a big deal to Jesus. That's why we as a church must be unified. Certainly there's space in the church for people to have varying taste in music or preaching styles or church or dress, all types of issues that we don't have to have sameness over. But we must be unified in what that preaching and those songs are about. We are to be unified in the person of Jesus. Now pick up in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Can you imagine being in Ananias' shoes? You've been in your home. You've got word that, that Saul is coming to your town. You're terrified of he might haul you and your family out and be in prison for your belief in Jesus. Now God himself has come to you and saying you are to go to the one who is coming after you. And he is going to be praying. The next few verses tell us that Ananias has something in common with us when God comes to us and calls us beyond where we're comfortable. Uh, verse 13. But how much evil, uh, uh, Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. Verse 14, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias understands the call of God, but he is cautious about what God is calling him to do. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, entered the house, laying hands on him, said, Don't miss this next word. My translation says, brother. The term that he uses here isn't necessarily one for, that you share the same DNA with, not for a uh, brother by, you know, in family sense of the word was a close countryman, it's an incredibly close friend, it is a neighbor you're fond of. And Ananias' first words to Saul, his brother. Remember, this is the same Ananias who is very cautious about the call of God, trying to explain to God the evil that Saul had done. But remember, God knew better than Ananias even did about the evil of Saul's heart. For it had required God sending his one and only son to come to live and to die in order to redeem that black heart of Saul. Just as the blood of Christ was necessary to redeem, to regenerate Saul's heart, so has been necessary for yours. And Ananias has such incredible trust in God. This gives us a taste of what hospitality should be like among believers. Brother, 
Ananias does not ease into the spiritual conversation to test the waters to see if Saul has truly been changed by God. He's not like the kid walking into the, to the deep end of the pool, tiptoeing in to get adjusted to the water. He dives headfirst into the conversation and welcomes Saul as his brother, his neighbor. Brother Saul, listen to his greeting. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he rose, was baptized, taking food. He was strengthened. Church, seniors, Saul, who becomes Paul, has this incredible memory-making moment with Jesus himself. Later, Paul would say that, um, that he encountered Jesus himself. He was an apostle just as the original 11 were sent out by Jesus. He says, I had the same type of encounter with Jesus. This moment changes his life. This is a mild marker for him. Seniors, I, I would ask you or challenge you. I know you have great ambitions. Man, y'all are such an incredibly talented, gifted class, so unique, such strong leaders. Many of you have spent your high school years discipling younger students. You have set aside other ambitions in order that you could truly follow Jesus we as a church want to see you embrace those ambitions, to be incredibly successful. I know some of you are going into the military, some will be on a community college campus. Many of you will be just a mile down the road on state's campus. Chase after your dreams. Do your very best in the classroom. Get the education. Succeed in your career. Make a difference in the world. But most of all, we want to see you follow Jesus, to be obedient to him to have a mile marker experience with Jesus that I know so many of you have had. You look back on your life some years in advance and see moment after moment after moment where you have trusted Jesus. Church, have you had this type of moment with Jesus? I know many of us grew up in a tradition where you did walk an aisle or you're baptized at a certain age, but you'd say, honestly, you know, that's just what we did when you turned 10 or 12 or the expectation was if you hadn't done it by this point, you kind of missed out. But have you really had a moment with Jesus where Jesus changed your life? Well, what would be the markers of that? Paul's life, we're going to see a couple where his life was totally changed by this moment with Jesus. But a couple of suggestions you might be able to examine your life and see. Has greed been replaced with generosity in your soul? Has legalism given way to grace? Maybe you were blessed like I was to grow up in a church setting, but somehow without any part of the intentions of your pastor or Sunday school teachers and certainly not your parents, you heard not grace, but you heard rules. And following Jesus was more about do's and don'ts than what God had actually done for you. So has that legalism been replaced with grace? Or maybe you've struggled with anger. Just always feel like the whole world is against you. But that anger has been replaced with gentleness. Are there markers in your life? I want to show you a couple from Paul's life, um, which you can see where his life has been changed. 1 Corinthians 13. Probably every wedding you've attended has included this chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, he says that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not proud. It does not boast. Later in Paul's life, as he's reflecting on what his life was like prior to Acts 9, prior to meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road, you can sense how much pride Paul had in his genealogy. You can sense how much pride Paul had in keeping these Old Testament commands because he thought it was his efforts that earned him a right standing with God. Now the same man changed by Jesus is saying love isn't proud. 
Or listen to what he would write to his friends in Galatians, Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live through by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The man who thought his standing with God was based on his ability to keep a set of standards now believes the only hope he has with having a right standing with God is based on the grace of Jesus. This is an incredible transformation that has happened in his life. Have you had this type of life? As you reflect back on your years, you can see these mile marker experience with God where your life has been changed. Seniors, I know all these years that you have imagined graduation and walking across the stage and getting diploma, and we hope some type of ceremony still happens for you. All those older folks like me who have receding hairlines and a lot more wrinkles than you think you'll ever have, we all can remember back to our high school graduation, remember the moments we still say things like, I haven't seen him since graduation night. We empathize with you. We haven't been through what you're going through, but we're in your corner, we are supporting you. Church, whatever season it is that you are going through, I want you to be encouraged by these words that I'll read from you from Romans chapter 8, the, first, the last two verses of Romans 8. Paul says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Seniors, we're in your corner. Uh, personally, seniors, your group, I'm incredibly proud of. Every senior class is unique. Man, y'all are a unique group in the best sense of the word. As I think about you looking into a camera, but seeing your faces in my mind, I think about mission trips. Man, we've spent weeks together serving in inner city Jackson at Mission First. We got enough memories and laughs and games that we played in that little living room to last all of us a lifetime. Even when some of you in junior high took weekend mission trip down to New Orleans and somehow even those two or three days we spent together, still things that we reference five years later. A bunch of you served in Belize the last three years and a few of you even as, as ninth and 10th graders were with us in, as we served in, in Puerto Rico. Been all over the world and all the disciple nows. Man, your grade has grown so much in depth and leadership, but also just in numbers. One of the things I'm proudest about with your grade is, as we look back on these pictures of you in junior high, there's many of you that aren't in them because you were added to our family over the last six years. Students, I'm in your corner. We're cheering for you as a church. As much success as we hope that each of you get to enjoy in your life, there's no greater success than living a life obediently to Jesus. Living your life not for your own glory, not for own recognition, but living it by serving others in the name of Jesus. Church, let our lives be filled with memory-making experiences with Jesus that are mild markers for us. They show us how far God has brought us and keep pointing us towards a future where we continue to follow him. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we do pause before you today. We pray for this group of seniors and their parents and grandparents, their whole families. God, we, we understand they're going through a different situation than any of us have gone through. But we understand there's this sense that things aren't normal for them. And God, we, we want them to know that we're with them and we know that ultimately, and even more importantly, you are with them through this season. 
God, I pray for our church that this somehow even be one of those mild marker experiences for us where we learn to trust you in the midst of just feels like dysfunction. God, I pray that each of us would set our hearts on following you. We would examine our lives to see if each of us have had a true experience with you. And if we have not, that even today that we would trust in your son, that he is the only way any of us can know you. It's in his name, his saving name that I pray. Amen.